welcome to another episode of the Underground Bunker Podcast. This is your proprietor, Tony Ortega. And this week, wow, what a great guest I've got. Mark Ebner has agreed to join us here at the podcast. Ebner, how are you, man? Agreed. Come on, I've been begging you for months to get on this podcast. <laughs> I'm doing okay. I, I got I got nothing but time on my hands for you, Tony, especially oh. uh, with the subject matter we're about to embark on for sure. I'm doing okay. LA's all right. Well, you uh, yeah. You remember that uh, when the Danny Master trial ended in a mistrial. And I needed a drink after that experience. <laughs> you, you just happened what? to be in right around there. And we got together. And we had a drink. That was so fun. That's right. I picked you up basically at the courthouse steps and whisked you away to uh, to another dimension, the Dresden room. We have to give uh, a bump to the locale for sure. And who met up with us? Some newswoman, as I recall. We had a good time that night. Uh, Lisa, Lisa Bartley from Channel 7. She came by just to say hi. Yeah. yeah she she right. does amazing work. Let me just give her a little plug because her Please. bosses would never let her come on a show like this because um, you talk about down the middle, straight ahead reporting. Yeah, She is just a bulldog. And I don't know that there's another local TV station in America that does better coverage of the church Scientology than ABC seven because of producer Lisa Bartley. She well, is really, really something. Well, I was going to say you might be able to get her on, on the very topic of uh, down the middle straight ahead reporting on Scientology and how it, how uh, you know, these particular journalists navigate that uh, delicate balance, if you will. Uh, I'd listen to that for sure. And she's easy on the eyes. You should have uh, uh, you should have video on this podcast, Tony. On the two of us, on the two of us, Ebner. Oh yeah, you make you know, now you're making a good point. All right, yeah. <laughs> oh man. <clears throat> well, that is. I mean, that is an issue with uh, covering Scientology. And I definitely want to go back into your history about that. But you know, I met some great reporters at the Danny Masterson trial, and. They're just there because they want to, you know, cover what's going on. Whatever either side is saying, they want to be fair to both sides. And man, they got smeared by Scientology. You know, these these really good reporters at Variety and Deadline. Um, and, you know, one of the things that, that really made Scientology anger is they would ask me questions because, I, you know, I know the material. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, these are just really good reporters just trying to do a good job. And it's just a shame. And all Scientology does is is perpetuate what everybody says about them, right? Oh, yeah. Well, they can't help themselves. And by the way, uh, you know, you should take a bit of credit. I certainly will in that, you know, we gave the straight news reporting outlet something to report about by, uh, you know, bringing uh, collectively and, you know, just uh, the network of uh, you know, people that have been on the Scientology beat, helping each other out, doing things that are really uncharacteristic in the cult cutthroat, you know, nature of journalism today. Um, you know, we handed them a big story <laughs> that just uh, has the kind of legs for you to sustain, you know, your mantle on that beat, you know. 
Uh, so well, take I, some credit. I think we should take some. Well, I think we both should take some credit on that because it's it's been a tough subject for some news organizations to cover. And the way you and I were attacking it in the 90s and the way, you know, we've continued to today is it just gives other news organizations a better place to start from. And I, I really believe news coverage of Scientology today is so much better than it was 20 or 30 years ago because uh, the reporters are not starting from zero. They've read our stories. They understand some background. And I think it's just it's just created a better news covering situation. And let me let's let's go there. Let's start there. In the mid '90s, you and I were starting out, and it was scary to report on Scientology back then. I mean, you took a real chance. Let's let's let, let's let the viewers know, and we, the, I'm sorry, the listeners know what we're talking about. Mark Ebner, in 1996, had this epic story about Scientology at Spy Magazine. Poor, I'm so missing Spy Magazine. And what made it so great was you got down into it. You actually joined Scientology for a short time. You went through it. You came out with this amazing tale. And I want to talk about that experience. Um, But before we do, let's just set the scene. Remember, in 1991, Time Magazine had come out with this major cover story about Scientology by Richard Bahar, Mm-hmm. which really, you know, they called them a global cult of greed. And they were sued for th- like $400 million by Scientology. And that put a big chilling effect on, on news organizations. They didn't want to touch Scientology. And so the fact that you in 95, when you went to report on this, and it came out in 96, were doing this. I mean, most publications were way too terrified to do something like this. Tell me now, how did you sell Spy Magazine on this story? Because I remember those days, Mark, publications were just terrified of Scientology. Right. Well, I, I, I'll give you a little backdrop and a little history up until that point. You know, I'd been, uh, I'd been slinging ink for the Glossies, Premier Magazine, and, uh, you know, various movie magazines doing puff profiles and, uh, you know, the occasional... Uh, investigative Hollywood story up until that time. And during my run through the slick magazines, there were only really maybe two or three publications where the editors, excuse me, uh, you know, pardon the overused phrase, but they just didn't give a fuck, Tony. And they, yeah. uh, one of them would be Chris Connolly during his short tenure at Premier Magazine. You know, uh, another uh, was uh, the, uh, you know, the people at Spy. I mean, that that was their bread and butter, just taking a chance on things. And, uh you know, waving the uh, First Amendment flag, you know, and that was it. They didn't, uh, I, I wish there was a story about me having to hard sell uh, a story on Scientology to Spy Magazine, but honestly, there wasn't. Um, what what I was doing was, at, uh, I had a few years, I was at, uh, at Spy at the tail end of uh, Graydon Carter's uh, regime there. And uh, 
they had just go, gone uh, uh, undergone an uh, editorial change, and I had taken over the uh, Hollywood industry column from the. Uh, okay. You may remember her. There was a woman who did it brilliantly. If she was a woman, under the moniker. Celia Brady, the industry column and spy was essential reading back in the 80s. Um, I took that over. Celia Brady was no more. And I was doing store, you know, little blind items like uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone getting caught uh, uh, in his trailer on a movie set. He's hot mic'd and he's getting a blowjob and he's saying, uh, say my name, cradle the balls, work the shaft. You know, and I'd work that into a little item in the column. Uh, what would be another one? Um, oh, God, there were so many. But the, you get the point. Oh, uh, uh, another one of my favorites was on the set of Usual Suspects, 1994. Uh, Brian Singer walked into... Uh, 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 Kevin Spacey's trailer and found Kevin with his, uh, with his young boyfriend that he import had imported from France. You know, this was, uh, uh, this was Brian Singer's boy for the, you know, for the duration. And he walks into Spacey's trailer and there's Spacey jacking off, uh, with Singer's French boyfriend, uh, essentially uh, palming his testicles. So I had to give that kid a fake name and his moniker was Nut Palmer. And uh, I would laugh and I don't know what my readers thought, but that's about all I was doing. So I was definitely, I was definitely hankering for uh, a big story. And, uh, right. you know, so I'm living in... Uh, where was I living? I think, yeah, I was in Venice Beach at the time. But every time I came into Hollywood, uh, I was bemused and very, you know, curious about uh, these swabbies, as I called them, these Sea Org uh, uh, minions that would be marching up and down Hollywood Boulevard at that section where all the uh, Scientology publishing and the Dianetic Center and all that was going on. It was a nucleus. And I just, uh, I didn't know anything about it. And uh, yet I knew there were celebrities involved. I knew Tom Cruise was, uh, I mean, I wasn't like completely uh, ignorant of, uh, you know, I just, I, I, I just thought it was exactly what it was in the nicest possible terms. And that would be a wacky cult, but I wanted to, to figure it out. Um, I knew that the only way to do that would be from the inside out. So my pitch essentially, now that I've come around to that finally is, was that, you know, I've got to join. And my editor, a guy named Jim Morrow at the time, he was like, go for it. And, uh, you know, they opened up the expense account for as much as they would allow. And um, I, you know, I, I've, I've gone undercover several times in my career uh, with the Ku Klux Klan in South Texas. Uh, 
with uh, some criminal organizations in South America. I've, you know, had to go undercover. And this one was the creepiest experience. And I went in just <laughs> uh, uh, on Hollywood Boulevard. You know that Dianetics testing center that's still there right. today, I think? It's the original, yeah. I believe it's the big green S of Scientology. I don't know. It's a it's a little storefront where they sell big books. And right. uh, at the time, they were doing uh, personality tests. Do they still call them yeah. personality tests or are they giving stress tests now? They do. Well, both. they do both. But yeah, they call it personality tests. Uh, and I I, they, I believe, they do they call that the Hollywood Inn or is that the... Um... There's another name for it. Anyway, there. I think I know which building you're talking about. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so I went, it, just a storefront. There was a guy, kind of a schlubby looking CR guy. I mean, because he did have a, you know, a cadet shirt on or something. Middle-aged. Just, he was out there uh, sweeping the sidewalk. He had a mop on standby inside. There was no one going in and out of there. So I just walked in. And uh, he looked up, you know, he laid his mop against the uh, wall and he looked like he was really happy to see me. <laughs> and he said, so, uh, uh, you know, welcome, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, what's I, I remember him asking me something like, what's you know, what's going on in life? What would you like to change? And I said, uh, well, I'd like to quit smoking. I was like chain smoking Newports at the time. I'm sorry, Tony. It's embarrassing. It was an old junkie habit. <laughs> Only the menthol worked at that time. And I said, so the first thing that I, I, I just knee jerked, I said, well, I want to quit smoking. And he goes, Scientology can help you with that. And then I'm thinking, you know, now when you look back at that, uh, you know, cut to when I finally was milling about uh, Big Blue and all that. It seemed like every Scientologist I ran into was smoking a cigarette in honor of uh, right. the late great uh, chain smoker, L. Ron Hubbard. Cool non-filters. Right. Um, so, uh, so, of course, Scientology can help you with that. And uh, he says, would you like to take a personality test? Meantime, he's dropping Tom Cruise and, and John Travolta's name, just letting me know they're part of this organization, this religion that they claimed, uh, you know, that they claimed. And he was, uh, you know, but he called them TC and uh, 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 JT. You know, they had that familiar sort of this guy would never set eyes on Tom Cruise or John Travolta in his lifetime. You know, but they, they're hey, right. it's JT and TC, TC, you know, when he's and he's trying to make it attractive, you know, uh, bringing up the so-called opinion leaders. So I sat down and uh, what did I do? Uh, wait, did I take the. T yeah. Uh I took the test and uh, right. it really, I mean, if, if people need an audio visual primer to all this, I would say, go to the uh, trapped in the closet episode of South park um, only because you know, that it's the story. This is the story I told them, uh, them being right. Matt Stone and Trey Parker 
uh, when they were putting together the script for that show. And, uh, you know, so I took the, uh, I, I did the test and, uh, it spit out a very troubling diagnosis. And it said that, uh, I was, uh, you know, I was redlining on the anger scale. I was redlining on, uh, uh, just, they said I had a complete lack of accord. And to this day, I don't even know what that means. If you want to Google while I'm talking here, I don't know what they were talking they, about. They, but they had you, they had you nailed, Ebner. They had you down, man. Well, you know, it was a hot summer day and I'm walking down Hollywood, <laughs> hate smoking Newport, you know, cigarettes, just fucking wondering right. what the fuck is my life that I'm about to join Scientology. And so, of course, there's, you know, I'm going to redline a little bit of anger there. Uh, anyway, he sold me a copy of Dianetics. Uh, that was my first yeah. expense account, uh, account per, uh, purchase. And basically, they had the, uh, uh, they had given me that test, the results of which would follow me, you know, as I'm upsold throughout the process. I didn't see that guy again from the Dianetic Center. He had routed me over, uh, actually put me in a van and gave me a ride over. You know, the body routing in uh, Scientology uh, should not go unacknowledged. Um, It's very, it's a combination of, uh, well, it's almost like Vegas, you know, where they, you have to go through the casino to get out the door. And that's at everything, all their events, all their functions. Uh, Just one man, you know, just sleepwalking through this. And next thing you know, I'm at Big Blue and I'm getting uh, re- regged. Is that how you say it? Uh, registrar. I think they say red. Yeah. Regged. I think they say regged. That's right. I'm right. getting regged uh, there. And, uh, you know, I'm. it's like getting onboarded into the worst job imaginable. And that entailed... Uh, going into these auditing rooms, I still wasn't on the cans. Uh, I was doing what's known as book one auditing out of the book. Uh, we were doing some clay modeling. Can you explain that, Tony? <laughs> well, because you know, Hubbard, yeah, I mean, Hubbard was not only do they think he discovered all the secrets of the universe, they also believe he came up with the best educational techniques. One of which was this idea of his that you don't really get to learn a concept unless you can kind of put your hands on it. And in other words, the word, the word they use is that you should have mass on a subject. And, and one way that you can get mass on a subject is to literally create an image of it in clay. And so they ask you, okay, to create a clay diorama of a concept. Right. So, you know, if you want to learn about the reactive mind and engrams and auditing and all this stuff, they will ask you to literally create a scene made out of clay, then this will help you understand the concept. And look, with a, like with a lot of things with Scientology, particularly that study tech, of course there's some basis to it. I mean, yeah, if you have sure. a if you have a, a mo- if you have a model, if like one example they use is if you're talking about a truck. If you actually have a model of a truck in front of you when you're talking about it, it'll help you understand. That's the, I mean, of course, it's a sort of yeah. a really trite observation. But then they take it to this extreme where they want you to constantly model these complex ideas in clay, 
And it's just something that they, they do at a lot of different levels in Scientology. Right. So picture this. I'm in a, a course room at the Big Blue. And for your, your listeners, that would be, that's the big org, right? That's, uh, the, it's got, they have AOLA. They have everything there. It's uh, 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 the Big Blue building and uh, on Sunset. And I'm in a classroom there. And over in the corner, someone's yelling at a rag doll, you know, like shaking it <laughs> and yelling at it. And I really, honestly, I, I think I had, I had a brush with the Moonies when I was about 16 years old in Boston, uh, which made me a little cult sensitive. I don't need to get into that story, but that was pretty crazy. And then, uh, uh, you know, I, I think I had been to an S seminar or something with my stepmother back in the day. So I had a, a, a decent amount of skepticism going in. But like you were saying about playing with Play-Doh, the shit does work uh, in, you know, uh, certain instances and things like that. And what I found was, was that when they got me in a room to do some like intense auditing, whereby my auditors sitting there, you know, uh, it, it was like Black Mirror then is what I'm trying to say. It was yeah. really weird. These rooms are, you know, very... Uh, so they're soundproofed and they're really small and it's like a, a high tech confessional, you know, or something like that, yeah. you know, and, uh, and I, you know, he was it asked me to take him to take me back to a traumatic point in my life. And, uh, you know, so I'm submitting at this point. I'm like, let's see how this goes. Because I had been hypnotized right. before uh, to to a positive degree on, on a certain things. And I understood hypnosis even has its benefits. So I didn't quite recognize it as such. But looking back over my shoulder, hypnosis has a lot to do with uh you know, the way Scientology uh, works their mind control. And this was very similar because uh, the trauma thing, I remember I, I said, I told, I, when I was uh, about five or six years old, uh, we had a crab apple tree in my backyard and I was small enough that I could get out on the branches of it. They were very thin. And one day I did that and the branch snapped and I fell and I hit my chin on a rock, broke my teeth, had a concussion, passed out, you know, and I, so that was the scenario that I went back to and it was very real. Right. So, uh, uh, so I'm, I'm doing this and, you know, I'd run through the whole story and then the auditor would say, let's go back to the beginning, you know, and literally just picking up details, you know, uh, I, this is intense, and it's very time consuming. And uh, yeah. by the time you're through through with it, it may not, the phenomena that occurs is that by the end of, for me anyway, I was just busting out laughing at the end of it. Yeah. Um, because mainly because the whole scenario had become so absurd. But understand if that's the case it's they can still run cover and still explain to you that you just blew the charge of that you know traumatic event in your life well there's an interesting thing you do in the story because 
the repetition is key. Yeah. And you in the story you mentioned that if you say the word ball enough times, 50, 100 times, it no longer has any meaning after a while, right? Exactly. It becomes this thing. And I thought that was a, a really smart observation because I think that's a lot of what Scientology is. It's just the, the repetition puts you into kind of a trance state. Words no yep. longer have meaning, start to have these bizarre cognitions. But let me ask you this. When you were going through that and you were you know, in the belly of the beast, you were in Big Blue, which is the former Cedars yep. of Lebanon Hospital and just off of Sunset and uh, must have been you know, big corridors and rooms you went through. Did, were you ever concerned that they were going to figure out you were a, a reporter on a story? Did they ever come close to that? Did they ever get, get a little, make you a little nervous about that? No, I told them I had, I had a story. I think I told a couple of them that I was a poet. Uh, you know, I didn't want to, I, I wanted to keep something. I wanted to keep it creative so that I just, I wouldn't get tripped up at any point, you know? So yeah, yeah like right, I like right. to write and I'm a poet and this, that, and, and, you know, they, this was now I'm really like, I'm prime raw meat at that point because they know that, you know, they can route me to the celebrity center and I'll feel right at home there amongst my own or yeah. the way they try and sell it to you. And, um, right. you know, so, uh, I finally, uh, I, 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 after about a, the first week, I winded up at uh, uh, Big Blue where they basically sec checked me out. Uh, they put me on the cans. Your needle is floating. That's a good sign. That's all I remember. She asked me a, like a few perfunctory questions. Um, and, uh, you know, my response was that I had experienced a breakthrough uh, in the limited time I was there. And I wasn't lying, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. um, only because right. the shit works on your head. And ultimately, hypnosis. Have you been hypnotized, Tony? I have not. Well, what happens is, is if you're with a professional and you, you're, you can, uh, you're susceptible to a trance, uh, when you're in that trance and when you come out of it, you feel really good. You know what I'm saying? You're like on the yes. cloud that you had to imagine yourself floating through, you know, to, to make yourself vulnerable to the power of suggestion that comes in hypnosis, whether it's to quit smoking or quit saying the F word or whatever obstacle in life you want to get through. Hypnosis can work in that regard. Um, uh, because what happens is when you're about to reach for the cigarette, let's just say the suggestion that you were giving pops up and you put it down. You see what I mean? Because you, I see. you've yes. learned a great truth. You've learned that in hypnosis, it would be your mantra for lack of a better word. And that is not the right word, by the way, would be for my body. Smoking is a deadly poison. I need my body to live. My body deserves my care and protection. See, I've never forgotten that. And that was like back when I was 17 years old, trying to quit smoking for the wow. first time. Right. Wow. And, yeah, you know, yeah. but, the, you know, the parallel is there and you come out of it and you feel fucking good. And that is um, the high 
that doesn't get talked about often enough. Um, that when you're going through um, uh, auditing or uh, you know just the just the act of uh, auditing as confessional. Yes, it, I know it sounds crazy, and I and it sounds like I'm giving the, them all this credit. I'm really not, because we both know that Hubbard stole all this shit. You know, this wasn't. You know, these the, his whole entire methodology was an amalgam of you know uh, Freud, who he ended up hating and becoming his enemy. Jung, uh, who else? I mean, this guy learned from the best and put it all together you know, uh, and created his own recipe. Yeah. Well, let let me just point out that what you're saying makes Scientologists howl because they will tell you that L. Ron Hubbard told them that hypnosis puts people to sleep, but Scientology wakes them up. And it's the opposite of hypnosis. And if you ever suggest there's any hypnosis in Scientology, they scream bloody murder. But here's the truth. Hubbard's Hubbard's friends, his his friends at the time, Forrest Ackerman and other people that were with him in the 40s, said that he was a stage hypnotist. (laughs) He was a very skilled stage hypnotist, a master at hypnotizing people. This is something that Scientology never talks about. Oh, of course not. And and let me punctuate what you were just saying, uh, Tony. They... Uh, once again, if you brought up hypnosis, you know, they do everything shy of sec checking you again. You know, they come down on you for that. Right. And they being, you know, anyone else, you know, with that Scientology smirk and that, you know, like know it all attitude walking around there, uh, you know, they would be like, hang on, Mark, 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 Mark. hang on, Mark, hang on. We just had a little problem. Oh, uh, I, I lost you for about five seconds. So um, I'll jump back see. in. Yeah, let me just uh, let me do my little thing about Hubbard being a stage hypnotist again. Got and it. And then you take over again from there. Okay, Perfect. so let's be quiet for a second. You know, Mark, the thing about hypnosis is Scientologists scream bloody murder if you accuse them of using that. They say that, you know, hypnosis puts people to sleep. Um, Scientology wakes them up and they really get upset if you mention hypnosis and Scientology. But here's the truth. Hubbard's own friends in the 1940s said that he was a skilled stage hypnotist, that Hubbard was very, very good at hypnotizing people and would do it in public. So that's the actual history. And if you look at the um, Dianetics, the first book, he talks about putting people in a reverie. He's literally talking about using hypnosis. Now, later he dis, he disavowed that word, and today they claim they're not using hypnosis. But you experienced it. I mean, it yeah. sounds like it was very much like hypnosis. Hundred percent. And uh, it, uh, it the way they deny it is because you can't take credit away from Hubbard for anything. Okay, it's his doctrine. It's his method, technology, to use their word, and that's that. If you say, well, that was Freudian, they'll get up in your shit, right? Because no, you know, psychiatry, you know, is evil. What do you know? What are you saying? They'll, you know, uh, even like little shit. Like I remember when I was uh, over at the Celebrity Center as 
on part of this uh, spy magazine journey. I I uh, I brought up uh, method acting. I brought up uh, who was the godfather of method acting? I'm such a fucking stoner. What was his name? Elliot Stanislavski. Kazan? I brought him up. Oh, Stanislavski, right? Yeah, uh, for in conversation. And the guy got real indignant with me. He was like, that's re-stimulating an engram. And, you know, uh, <laughs> you're not supposed to, you know, in other words, the idea of, you see, it. Uh, this all is what I, this is why I, uh, I don't appreciate Tom Cruise or John Travolta, for that matter, or any of these Scientology actors as actors, you know, for the simple reason I don't think, and I think you and I had an argument about this once, not, you know, we didn't go, come to blows like we usually do, but my point is there's a reason why you don't see Tom Cruise on stage because he can't act. That's why, because he doesn't have it in him. If you're, if, if things that work in Scientology, if you're clear, right, if you've, uh, Limit blown all this trauma from this life and all your past lives going back, you know, a billion years by contract, right? If you've blown the char- if you've blown that all out, what do you have to draw from that could make people uh, feel like I'm that could convince people from a stage? I, st- you know, I stand on that, but you know, so in other words. They don't want you drawing from your emotional experiences and your past traumas to create art. That's why I think Scientology artists are so full of shit and untalented, to be honest. Now, people can make the argument. They can say, well, they're on TV and that show was pretty good. And, you know, yeah, it's when when all you have to do is walk around in front of a camera, uh, don't mug it and hit your mark. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's not the biggest technology and uh, I don't even know why I got off on that rant, but I I think it has to do with Tom Cruise, (laughs) Tom Cruise being in the news now as the guy who saved Hollywood or something because he did a blockbuster movie during COVID. I'm reading this shit and he's being embraced by uh, Steven Spielberg and, Fuck, let me get back to 1996 and uh, them <laughs> routing me over to uh, the Celebrity Center. This was exciting. Yeah, yeah. This is something new. Now, mind you, because I submitted to a degree to everything that I had gone through in the coursework and the limited auditing experience at Big Blue, um, it was doing a number on me and I knew it. Uh, so what I would do periodically during the week is I, uh, I get my, I had a beat up Toyota at the time and I would, uh, uh, roll the windows down and I would blast rap music, gangster rap music, and just drive out into the desert and literally clear my head for the next day. Cause, um, it's it, it, what they're doing you know, out of the gate is powerful stuff. And, you know, I don't, yeah. you know, I, I don't want to, you know, people to think that, oh, I'll go do go undercover in Scientology. Well, you might not find your way to the door, you know, and, right. and I actually mean that because 
<laughs> just because of the mind control tax tra- uh, tactics, tricks, and stagecraft that they're doing doing to you. Um, I'm running out of money at the Celebrity Center real fast because um, the goal there, uh, first of all, you're here, you're with your kind. We have writers, we have actors, we have, look at these uh, seminars we do here, you know, all the scams, all the uh, uh, front groups act, you know, active in one place. But it's sort of where the elite meet, I guess, the Celebrity Center. It has a, a long history. You can give the history of the actual building better than I can, Tony. Uh, but when I was there, uh, Isaac Hayes lived there, you know, and why wouldn't he? You know, he's, you know, wow, getting up wow, there. In, yeah. Yeah, he's getting up there in years. Uh, it's the perfect cover for him to abuse women, one of which I know. Uh, who made the mistake of going up to his room there. Um, obviously, I'm not going to say who that uh, was, uh, but she became a dear friend. And uh, I haven't you know, talked to her in years, but uh, she was uh, not only a public Scientologist, but she was a celebrity's nanny. So if that rings any wow. bells for you, you may know who I'm talking about. You may not, but... Uh, you know, what is it? R.I.P. Chef, uh, Isaac Hayes. Ah, fuck that guy, you know, right. uh, honestly. Um, and uh, so, you know, this this was the place to be. But the next cell is, you know, the big kahuna. They're going to get me to part with several thousand dollars to do the Purif at the Celebrity Center. Now, I, I understand you right. can do it in big blue, Christ you could do it in your bathroom. You could just shovel uh, niacin down your gullet, drink a half pint of olive oil and, you know, turn the heat up in your bathroom and you get, you're doing the same thing, but they had it tricked out. They had a underground, like it, it reminded me of a French village. It was really bizarre. You're walking around like, it's almost like a, a dressed up wine cellar. And, you know, they showed me the saunas and all this and that and the other thing. And then, you know, I was getting regged at the Celebrity Center. And when it came down to brass tacks, I'm across this big desk from my registrar. And he's like, you got to do the uh, Purif because, um, you know, this will, uh, you know, clear body, clear mind. You know, it's uh, uh, this is essential. And, you know, uh, and then he gave me all the bullshit, you know, like uh, the smoke and mirrors, you know, told me that many uh, uh, people that do the pure, if they experience like uh, 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 radiation burns, you know, it's showing that radiation collected over the years and the centuries that's built up in our in your system will show up in strange patterns on your skin. Uh, I came to learn that smoke and mirrors was you eat enough niacin and sit in a sauna, boy, are you going to break out? Uh, it's called not niacin flushing or actually niacin burns to be more specific, not to mention the fact that a lot of people going into, uh, uh, Scientology at my level at the time, uh, were like me and they had, you know, experiences with drug abuse 
in their past and it already subjected their organs to, you know, enough damage with, uh, uh, you know, hardcore partying and stuff like that. And, you know, they're taking people who would likely have compromised livers to begin with and, you know, feeding them a direct toxin on the liver. And that's nice. And, and that's another thing I've always been pissed off about is that they actively fucking poison people there on this thing called the Purif. Uh, anyway, couldn't afford it. <laughs> Spy magazine drew the line back off. <laughs> no Purif. We're not going to spend 5,000 bucks or whatever it was. And yet the upsell was extraordinary. You know, he's sitting there across from me and I'm like, well, I, I, you know, I don't have the cash on hand. Uh, you know, I'm making excuses on the fly. The registrar says, well, do you have a credit card? And I say, yeah, I'm at my limit. Right. He take he goes, let me see that. He takes my American express. I think I had a gold card at the time and I was, you know, I mean, uh, what he did, I had no line of credit on it. You remember American express at the time was just a charge card you know, a flashy charge card, you know, you didn't get to, uh, you had no long-term credit line. So anyway, he calls down, he gets some guy in a boiler room downstairs and they figured out how to get me a, uh, a credit extension on that card. Uh, that, uh, I, something I didn't even know exists. They knew how to do it. And they said, look, we got you $10,000 just, you know, they had a script in dealing with the company. Yeah. And uh, so I demurred. I was like, man, I'm not going out of pocket for shit here. And I, you know, listen, I, let me think about it. And then I went home and I, you know, I've glossed over a lot of the uh, things that happened in my short 10 days that I was inside. Uh, but I, I will say this, uh, I think a saving grace for myself. In fact, I know it, uh, was that, uh, when I left, you know, my phone was blowing up, you know, uh, they were calling every day, inviting me to something somewhere, get together, this and that, uh, they have a, uh, a, a, a system that, that they work on people that, you know, are skeptical or who they haven't heard from. They don't let you go. Every day you're getting calls all day long about something you, you just have to do. And I was just like, yeah, no, I don't think so. I got, I'm busy, blah, blah, blah. Yo, what do you mean you're busy? You know, this is your, you know, yeah. you know, they, they had ways. And I didn't, obviously didn't fall for it because my next order of business was to get my ass to my computer and get on the old news group, Alt Religion Scientology. That means nothing to people who grew right. up on the internet, but to you and I, that place was the repository of everything suppressive, right. you know? I mean, yes. I'm, this is where I got to meet, uh, you know, I, I'll just, I'll throw some names, you know, this is where I came to know and, uh, and learn from people like Larry Wallersheim. Uh, uh, Taba Yoyin, uh, who else was on there? Yeah, Robert yeah. Vaughn Young. Well, you, I was going to say you interviewed Robert Vaughn Young. I'm, I'm so envious of that. I, Hell I was, yeah. I so admired him. Yeah. The work that he did. 
just a just Hannah, yeah, Hannah and Jerry Whitfield. I mean, these were the right. OG GOAT suppressives that, you know, I met on right. a new static news group. And then, you know, it right. kind of bled out into coffee dates. Oh, here's Spanky Taylor. My God, I'm sitting, you know, and we would get together and we had, it was like night and day. It was like going from the morose to the sublime, you know, because I walked out of yeah, there with a yeah. lot of resentments, uh, mainly that they were trying to fucking poison me. And also that uh, it was, uh, you know, this, I, I understood it to be just from my singular experience as a dangerous cult, you know, because I forgot to mention, I went to one event at uh, the Shrine Auditorium and, uh, uh-huh. You know, speaking of Las Vegas, uh, you can't get out of there without buying shit, you know. But basically, uh, David Miscavige wasn't even there, but all the brass was there. And this is my takeaway. We, we were, uh, everybody is corralled into the big auditorium. And it was, uh, what's uh, David's brother's name? Ronnie Miscavige, right? Yeah. Yeah, Ronnie's yeah. up there in his uh, lanyards and, and his admiral uniform, and he's leading something, talking about all the wins and everything for the year. It was a big, big State of the Union for Scientology. And um, uh, it was very lockstep. It was very, uh, uh, you know, it was really like, I think I wrote Vichy France ring a bell. I mean, this was Nazi shit. <laughs> and it, it further punctuated when I walked outside, I'm like ambling out with my hands in my pocket, you know, trying to not to be corralled into, uh, you know, the home show they had going on in the front of the building. And I walk outside and I start eavesdropping and I forget a lot of names and stuff like that, but I'll never forget this guy's name and face. Uh, Lazar, L-A-Z-A-R. And he was, uh, obviously uh -huh. he, he, he had the, uh, the lanyards that suggested he was high up and there was a woman right. talking to him and he goes, Oh, I'm, uh, Osa. And she goes, well, what does Osa do? Uh, she was just asking a question and he goes, right. we beat up suppressives. And I mean, this was a <laughs> jackboot fucking bald ass motherfucking thug standing there saying yeah. we beat up suppressives without even flinching, you know, and I, and I knew what suppressive meant. At least I understood the definition of the word. So I walked away with a chip on my shoulder and yet I still had the, the other side, uh, the suppressive side, the side of truth and, you know, beginning to understand Scientology at a deep, deeper level, I can't credit my own intuition or my own, you know, book smarts or research for that. It was all given to me by the OGs that I was just telling you about. And I, it was, well, you, I mean, yeah, you were only in for 10 days, but you know, you saw the hierarchy, you saw the mind fuck, Yep. You saw the poisoning and the purif. You saw the regging. Uh, I mean, you got a real good sense. You can tell from reading the article that you got a really good basic sense of the appeal, the come on, the patter, 
the uh, the intensity that's put on people once they decide to come in. And I don't know. I think you really were able to capture a lot of what Scientology was, even though it wasn't like at in base or up among with Miscavige and all those guys. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I really thought that your experience was really telling. And then, and let me just, I got to go there. Yeah. You go. didn't just write up an article. You did not just write up an article. You wrote probably the best lead on any magazine story ever written about Scientology. Please explain to people how you come up, came up with this genius opening and what you told readers at the beginning of this. Well, story. everybody from L. Ron Hubbard's ex-head uh, PR guy, Robert Vaughn Young, right down to, and when I say down, right on par with conversations with Spanky Taylor, they all told me the deal. You know, I wasn't the first uh, 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 journalist to do an expose on Scientologists. You mentioned Libby, but there was also, uh, you know, there were, <laughs> you did a, you did a book from our, with our girl from Florida, you know? I mean, there were people that had tried and they said without, uh, they, they said without a doubt, they're going to come after you and they will try and do everything they can to try and discredit you. So, um, so I said, uh, well, Jesus, I haven't even been on the, the, the planet this long, but, uh, I know, you know, I mean, I know what's up. I mean, I know I owe the IRS $6,000. I know I've been under psychiatric care. So what I wrote was I said, listen, you know, the, my lead was essentially, I wish I could quote it verbatim, but it was essentially, I'm an ex-drug addict. I've solicited prostitutes in my day. I've been under the care of psychiatrists. Uh, I owe the IRS uh, $6,000 that they're well aware of. Um, you know, I've masturbated and inhaled at the same time, you know, Clinton era throwback, you know, and I said, all right, that's it. That's all I got on myself. Take your best shot. So in the decade since, as you may have noticed, you know, how, you know, when I, when, when you ran, uh, or you republished, uh, I believe in, uh, the, where were you at in New York? You were at the Village Voice. Is that where you republished the um, uh, the uh, PI files on me that were originally published in Gawker? Uh, you know what? I remember. Didn't we? Didn't I republish your Philip Gale piece at one time? Somewhere? Yes. Yes. I'm trying to remember. And you, uh, you did. Thank you, because I wanted that to go out. And what happens is is when that was originally published in New Times, which is which was our old uh, employer for years. Yeah. And uh, right. uh, that that story, I mean, this this will show you the fallout from the Spy Magazine piece years later. I'm investigating the death of Philip, Philip Gale, a guy who was raised in Scientology. Uh, his mother was speaking of head PR. She did all the PR comms for Scientology. And, uh, you know, this kid went to Delphi, but he was possessed by a brilliance that got him into MIT when he was 14 years old. And, you know, by the right. time he was, you know, 
getting ready to graduate and go off into the wide world with his friends at MIT on L. Ron Hubbard's birthday, he threw himself out of the out of a wind classroom window at one of the tallest buildings on MIT campus. And, uh, you know, the Scientology connection could not be ignored, but, but that story for me was a real think piece. It was a beautiful mind type story. And, uh, it was great. Piece. I great wanted piece. to, yeah, well, I wanted to know Philip Gale. And the only way to do that was to yeah. go and meet his friends. Cause I'd never get the truth yeah. from even his own mother. Another reason, another reason to uh, just fucking hate Scientology because of what it does to people and what it does to families. I was like, when I'm interviewing his mother, I wanted to shake her. This is your boy. This is your son. Yeah. He's dead. And all you can do is blame it on what? him experimenting with drugs. The fuck is wrong with you? You know? Uh, sorry, right. and I and I and I owe you I owe you one I owe you one because you then encouraged me to talk to his sister yes. Liz, Liz Gale. and I got to write a really nice story about Liz Gale at my website, and then that helped get her, I believe, on the aftermath, and she had a brilliant episode, yeah, on Leah Remini's show Scientology in the Aftermath. So yeah, uh, and now she's you been know. doing a lot of stuff on tick on TikTok, you know, and she's that's doing great. why that's why your beat. Your Scientology beat is is an outgrowth of literally as angry as I get about the cult and what it does to people and families and all that. What uh, I I take a breath and I come back and it, it, in journalism, yeah, I had that bang up teeth cutting, made my career story. Do you want to buy a bridge? It's on my website www.hollywoodinterrupted.com. Uh, you know, anybody can read that story, but you know, uh, I'm glad that, you know, we, we, you know, we're spending an hour on this only because I get to reflect on my experience on the Scientology beat and it never really stops. You're always looking out, but if I find something, I'm, I knew who to send it to, you know, like what was the last thing we did? All this mail was going to a place in Silver Lake uh, and it was a Narconon right. International Center or something. <laughs> this little shit box in Hollywood. Some guy kept getting the mail, you know, and when when the mail goes to the wrong place, you're not tampering with mail. And yet, what do I do when I find this? What do I do when I find Gay Rabisi's award plaques? I know who to go to. And why do I go to you, Tony? Because right. I knew I know you'd do the same thing for me if I was on the beat. Yeah. And we, you know, we're not the the uh, Scientology reporters. Uh, you know, the ones that have survived through the years and you know not been scared off by the cult. Uh, have, you know, I mean, we've engendered a, a brilliant community and that's one of the best things. And that's what, bring, you know, takes me off the like fucking rage I have about this cult, especially during a time where uh, it's almost like we're living under the umbrella of cults now and you have to swat them away everywhere you look. QAnon, what the fuck is going on there, right? I mean... That is definitely a cult, but it's, wow, how dangerous can you get? If you can't identify the leader, 
and people are still following this, then we really have a problem. You know, at least we can identify well, Hubbard yeah. and make fun of him, right? Crazy, man. Well, and the, you know, one of the crazy things about Scientology is, uh, you know, you and I have had so much fun exposing the things it does and the, the <laughs> abuses that it produces, that kind of thing. But it's really small. I mean, you know, the total number of Scientologists, practicing Scientologists in the world is probably only like 20,000. But it's got a few famous faces like Tom Cruise and John Travolta. And that's why it gets a lot of press and a lot of curiosity from people. QAnon is literally millions of Americans. Yeah. I mean, there's just no comparison. So even yes, though QAnon but... may not have, have some, some of the worst practices that Scientology does, it's, it is kind of amazing how quickly in just a few years this, these ideas gripped American minds about you know deep underground military bases with tunnels full of children and just crazy stuff that millions of Americans ascribe to. I'm like I'm with you. I'm just amazed at this kind of stuff that we live in this time now where this stuff is just a wash in society. Yeah, and uh, it, you know because I don't know what to do about it yet, and I don't have that much clarity. You know, back to Scientology, I will say that. Um, it's what's an analogy I could make. Okay. Uh, I'm a story I'm working on now involves kitty porn, right? And, uh, the purveyor of this kitty porn, when he should have been jammed up by the feds based on evidence that they had received, they didn't move on him. And part of the reasoning in that is, is that, oh, well, we're dealing with billions of kiddie porn images coming out of Estonia. You know, we got our hands full over there where that cult leader, what's his name? Andrew Tate is locked up Romania, right? We're talking about billions of images. Ebner, this guy had some images on his computer and I'm like, what planet are we on? I, what if he had one image, you know, it's kiddie porn. There's no statute of limitations. Get them. You have the evidence. No, justice doesn't work that way. Certainly not the feds. And that's the thing with Scientology. We, we know there's a dwindling cult. We know that it's really, you know, the, their actual, uh, uh, you know, membership is in the, uh, you know, low five, lower end of five figures. You know, it's, it's, it is what it is. But then at the same time, they don't stop ruining people's lives ever the yeah, way they, that's the, that's right. and, exactly. and, and that's black and white. That's a bottom line. And Lisa McPherson, RIP, you know, if yeah. anyone needs an example of, you know, worst case scenarios, you know, and they're all bad. Uh, you know, if you, if you join Scientology, they're all bad ultimately, because as, Robert Vaughn Young told me, I said, what happened? How did you get out? He said, Mark, it was like coming off a bad acid trip. You know, he's a product of the 60s, right? <laughs> and he goes, right, oh, my right. God, Hubbard was wrong. It's all a lie. And I was like, man, I'm so glad I met you because that is the bare bones realization that could save you. But at the same time, not everybody gets right. to that point. It's an ongoing project and we're still working on it. But listen, one of my favorite experiences about coming out to L.A. to cover the Danny Madison trial last fall was I got to go into a bookstore 
and buy a copy of your book, which was right there on the featured table uh, there in Los Feliz, the bookstore I went to, Skylight Books, I think it was. Yeah, formerly and, uh, owned by Scientologists. <laughs> it's true. I picked up a copy of your book, and and tell could you tell people about it? Let's 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 get your latest work out there so people. Yeah, know. the book I co-authored it with a young man named Giancarlo Granda, and it's called "Off the Deep End: Jerry and Becky Falwell and the Collapse of an Evangelical Dynasty." Speaking of cults. And that's a whole other episode, but, uh, uh, it's, uh, it, 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 it's a strange true tale of a kid who found himself in a situation, who landed in a situation where he had his Mrs. Robinson moment with the wife of the leading evangelical in the country, if not the world, the heir to the, you know, uh, uh, moral majority, Jerry Falwell outfit, uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife, uh, he wound up in a cuckold situation and he was banging his wife while the head of the largest evangelical university in the country watched and jacked off and jumped in for sloppy seconds. I guess they call them cleanup cucks. Okay, that's the dirty shit. You probably heard enough. But what's amazing about it is that it's like a domino effect. There's a companion documentary, which lays it out for people who are too lazy to read a 270 page (laughs) book from uh, Harper Collins called off the deep end. Just watch God forbid Billy Corbin's doc on, on Hulu. And you can see while Giancarlo is cuckolding Jerry Falwell Jr. You can see how that leads to the run-up to the election and Donald Trump getting elected president of the United States with the uh, with the, the evangelicals who arguably tipped the election in his favor, thanks to Jerry Falwell wow. Jr. You know, uh, so, you know, uh, that's the book. Well, let me, let me I'm just real do- proud of it. Thanks for bumping it. I do appreciate it. Well, let me, let me encourage people because it's Giancarlo's story told from Giancarlo's point of view, but the writing is just delicious. <laughs> and I know where that's coming from. It's not coming from Giancarlo. Well, Giancarlo, so, he's, he's make sure eloquent. Make you pick it up, folks. He's eloquent. He's polite. He's not brutal and coarse like I can be. But when you're dealing with cult leaders, you know, you got to go. You got to hit them below the belt. You got to make them feel it. Thanks for having me on. I hope we accomplished as much today, Tony. I love you, man. And we had fun. We had fun. I always have a great time. And (laughs) when I come back out for the retrial, we got to have another drink at Dresden. Okay, Mark? Yeah, you bet. And maybe we'll uh, even do a little House of Pies. <laughs> yeah. Let's end it on House of Pies because I love pie. All right. Talk All right, to you later, man. Thank later, you. brother. All right.